everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Doing the Thing podcast. I am joined as always by my buddy and my co-host Jason. How are you doing, Jason? Bill, I'm doing all right today, man. I'm excited about today's episode. Um, when you showed me the topics, I was like, I want to learn about that. I don't know anything about these. So, <laughs> so this is like a good premise for a podcast, right? We, we want to talk about things that excite us and that we want to learn about and help educate others along the way. So that's they, that really juices me up and gets me ready to go. So, Awesome, man. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, here's what got me thinking about the topics we're going to talk about today. So full disclosure, it's going to be story time today. And I have three stories, one personal, two, uh, two others that I think will convey the message. And what really got me thinking is the networking episode that we did. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, for those listening, Jason is just a rock star networker. I have a lot to learn from him in terms of how he does it. And yeah, I was reflecting on the things we learned. If you haven't listened to that session, you absolutely should because there's some great tips and nuggets in there. But really thinking about the value of that interaction and what it can potentially lead to is what started me thinking. And then I was also thinking back, we talked about the story of the Acres of Diamonds where a guy literally owned a uh, hundred acres filled with diamonds, but he didn't know what raw, what diamonds in their raw form looked like. So he literally sold the farm and traveled around looking to buy properties that had the potential to be diamond mines while <laughs> the next person came behind him and just became a instant millionaire. Right. Um, oh my God. Yeah. I can only imagine. Did I can't remember. Did he actually know that happened? Did he find out later on? Uh, there's a tragic end to his story. So the answer is yes. Yeah, I, I imagine so. So yeah, that would be tragic ending, I'm sure. I'm, I mean, a lot of people would uh, probably do something very drastic after <laughs> learning about a mistake mm, yeah. like that. And indeed he did, but we won't, oh, we won't go there. Um, yeah, so, um, you know, it's interesting when you stop and think that, or when you, when you come to the realization that a person sitting next to you or a person in a networking group or someone you even bump into in a store could literally change your life. It also changes your perspective on the people that you meet. Um, so that's what today's Absolutely. story time is all about. And yeah. we're going to start with the, how the Procter and Gamble company was actually formed. Cool. So, <laughs> so Procter and Gamble was like Pantene Pro V shampoo, Soap, um, Dude, cover girl, cover girl, yeah, yeah. So, I think of like a lot of 80s commercials and, and hair blowing back and <laughs> washing your hair seductively and things like that. That's what I think of, it. yeah. But you know, consumer brands like Pringles, which really everyone loves, yeah, yeah, Pringles, yeah, everybody loves Pringles, mm -hmm. um, even the fat free ones. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, here's how the story goes, um. Back in the 1800s, um, God, I feel like I'm just stepping into this storyteller mode as I'm doing this, right? But you got this. back in the 1800s, William Proctor. So think about, um, let me back up a step. Um, there's a principle in Chinese Buddhism called Yuan Fen. And what it says is that people who are meant to meet are predestined to meet. It's a question of hmm. when they're going to meet. Um, like you and, and me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I love that principle because it, it, illustrates the importance of that interaction and that meeting of new people and all those things, right? So here you have William Proctor, who's living in England, and you have James Gamble, who's living in Ireland. They both 
separately make the decision to move themselves to Cincinnati, Ohio. So that's an interesting first coincidence, right? Right. And um, Proctor goes on to start his own candle company. Gamble goes on to start his own soap company. And a couple years go by. They are courting and dating and doing all these things. And they end up next to each other on the doorstep of two sisters who each of them are dating one of. <laughs> and this is where, yeah, this is where Procter and Gamble first meet. They meet on the doorstep of two sisters that they just happen to be courting. And <laughs> they become friends through the process, as you can imagine. Um, and, you know, both relationships uh, blossom into marriage. So now they're both married to sisters, still doing their separate business. And literally one night they were sitting at the dinner table with their father-in-law who started asking about their business and how it was going and all the things they did. And their father-in-law realized that there were a couple important commonalities in their business. Number one, both of the brands required tallow or fat, right? Candles, soap to, to make. Mm -hmm. um, both of the brands required uh, similar to the same equipment. And he's like, did you guys ever consider maybe getting into business together because you use the same products and you use the same equipment and maybe you can leverage cost savings and some other things to become more competitive. Guess how much each of them invested in this multi-billion dollar 248 brand company of today. Well, what was the year when they started with around the time I, period? I'm stabbing at this. It was in the 1800s when they met late 1800s. Yeah, I think it was like 1830s maybe or something like that. Yeah, that sounds right. Something like that. So, so probably didn't have a lot of money, both immigrants. So let's, let's go the UPS route, 200 bucks. Uh, a little bit more than that, but not far off. $3,596.47 each. That's a very specific number. Well, wow. I just made it up. <laughs> no, sure. that's actually this multi-million dollar brand launched for less than $10,000. Wow. But amazing. All because of just, just this circumstance of fate that brought these people across the pond to the same city in Cincinnati, Ohio, to the same doorstep of two sisters that they're dating <laughs> to yeah. the same dinner table. So, so there's definitely like, like that synergy there. What, I mean, Aside from similarities in their industries, I mean, what was, what are some of the things that like really made them successful with that partnership? You know, I, I think that the family orientation of their relationship together, I think the trust that they developed right uh, over that time of courtship as they got to know one another were core. Um, I think certainly timing came into play, um, but business vision, right? How to yeah. create something larger from, uh, an option you have. And, you know, one thing we always say in our coaching business that it is worth repeating right now is we always have options and possibilities, even when sometimes it feels like we don't. And so these guys could have both just limited their lives to their own little pot, right? The, mm -hmm. the schoolroom, lunchroom, where you've got your tray and you've got your arms around it so no one can steal your tater tots. <laughs> they <laughs> could have stayed away from those tots. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. And, and partnerships are they're really hard too. We actually talked about this earlier this week uh, offline outside of the podcast. And I mean, most partnerships, I mean, they come in together without really expecting to fail, but they do, right? People, you know, things happen. People, you know, families 
you know, maybe they don't get along. Maybe, uh, you know, a spouse or, or a sibling or son or daughter gets sick and the other owner has to take off. I mean, how did they stick together so well? You know, did they, did they draft up an operations plan that like detailed, you know, every specific occurrence that could happen that could potentially put their relationship at risk? I mean, I wonder if they actually have um, any information on that anywhere. Yeah, it's interesting, but I would venture a guess there. And I would say, and this is one of my mantras, good paper makes good friends. 100%. Yeah. 100%. And, you know, a step beyond that is to say entering into a partnership is, you know, something that you should envision with the end in mind. You should know exactly who's going to do what, and you should have an exit strategy for both that you agree to before you start, because that's where the problems come in. Yes, absolutely. And, and, you know, you, you have to have those roles, you know, really refined so that one partner is not thinking that they're doing more work than the other, you know, or there's any kind of perception right there. It's like, oh, oh, Mr. Gamble, he's, <laughs> you know, just lying around sniffing his candles all day. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, he's a damn candle sniffer. Yeah, right. He's like, get out there and do some work. Go sell some stuff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So really interesting story about how fate can just bring people together that clearly were meant to be brought together. Um, and I have another story to tell you. Great. Let's hear it. Yeah. So um, it's funny. I, when I was <clears throat> prepping for the show, I was thinking about it's a stupid movie, but the premise is kind of cool. Do you, you ever see the Yes Man with Jim Carrey? Yes. <laughs> yes. Where no matter what he's asked, he's required to say yes, right? That movie's brilliant, <laughs> in my opinion. <laughs> really? You loved it? I did. I did. I mean, why not? Something so simple. You know, <laughs> like it's such a simple pre premise. Let's do a, a movie and put somebody ridiculous like Jim Carrey in it. Yeah. And so here's the thing. Could saying yes to something that you're inclined not to potentially change your life? And this is that story. This is that awesome. story. Yeah. Awesome. So true story. True story. Yeah, absolutely. True story. Um, so imagine this is a farmhouse in Kansas and, you know, vast property, 300 plus acres that this farmer owns. And uh, he gets a knock on his door. Um, and it's a guy named Rob Robinson. And Rob is a turkey hunter. <laughs> um, nice. And He'd been kind of eyeing uh, Gil Alexander's property for a while and realized that there was a big population of wild turkeys and he wanted to go back and turkey hunt. So he actually asked, could I have your permission to turkey hunt on your property? Very nice. And huh? Gil said yes. <clears throat> right. Yeah. I, how okay. many of us, right. How many of us would do that? But Gil said yes and allowed him to pitch a tent and literally live on the property for a period of months. Oh, months. I was yeah. thinking like, hey, come in this morning and, you know, pass through while you're hunting. Yeah, that's great. Months? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, months. That's a little extreme. Yeah. Um, you know, setting up and all the things and turkey season and afterwards and other stuff that he did. But in the course of this whole thing, they became friends, as you can imagine, right? And um, they began to hang out together. And one particular day, they were watching a college football game and Gil was getting ready to go out, or I'm sorry, Rob was getting ready to go out hunting the next morning. He's like, hey, Gil, 
I never asked you this, but why don't you come with me? Why don't you go hunting with me? And Gil said, I can't because I have a four-hour dialysis session tomorrow, and I'm going to be way too weak afterwards. So I'm going to be gone, but then when I come back, I just won't have the energy. Can you imagine that Rob was an exact kidney donor match to Gil? And no that Oh, no, seriously. And that Rob donated his kidney to Gil, the man had, that had let him on his property so kindly, donated his kidney to Gil, and Gil no longer has to go to dialysis. Wow. They're, they're basically strangers. That's, that's crazy. That is the, and what are the odds that a perfect kidney donor match might stumble upon a place that has turkeys and he happens to be a turkey hunter and the farmer happens to say yes. And in fact, the, the farm had um, gradually, the crops were starting to decline because Gil was very sick. Yeah. And through the course of this whole, you know, experience, Gil got his life back. He got his health back and he got his farm back wow. because he said yes. Yeah, it changed his life completely. That's that's huge. Uh, but they're still friends. I hope they're still friends. Oh, they're absolutely still friends. Yeah, and you know maybe the Yes Man isn't such a silly movie after all. No, I mean you know I, I guess there's some extreme limits there, but you know I think uh, t trust your judgment, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think you can theoretically say yes to everything, but I guess you know the point of that story is you just don't know the answer to your prayers, meditation, problems, could be knocking on your door. Yeah, and, and you know, that, that actually comes from some, some famous entrepreneurs actually kind of have that mindset too. Richard Branson, he says yes to every opportunity. Well, in his book, he says yes to every opportunity and figures out how to make it happen along the way. Well, that's a mindset of opportunity instead of lack, right? Right, right. Yeah, interesting, and I'll tell you, these two stories um, <clears throat> really spoke to me when I first researched them years ago. Um, and years ago when I was doing this research and I came across them, I had been blogging and I wanted to become a published author, you know, and this was before both of the books that I published. Um, I really wanted to be a published author. And so I was writing blogs um, and I was also in the music then, uh, industry. I was a senior VP of a music publishing company, and I got the opportunity to travel some very cool places. One of them was, um, if you could imagine, the, all of the people that create re reality TV once a year attend a conference in Washington, D.C. called Whoa. The Real Screen. Really? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I actually hung you out. Meet some Kardashians? I didn't see them. I, I, I hung out with... Uh, Murr from Impractical Jokers. Yeah, one of them. And That's let me awesome. tell you, dude is exactly what he is on TV. He's one of the most hilarious, engaging, gregarious people I've ever met. He was just amazing. So, hey, Murr, if you happen to be listening, shout out to you, buddy. Dude, that uh, guy has, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you in on a little secret. I have a TikTok account. And I watched some of his TikTok videos, and they are hilarious. Oh, I basically, don't... basically the only reason I have it is so my brother and I can pass back and forth funny videos. But those are some of those. His videos are some of them because he's oh. he's a character. Man. He's a character, and you know, interesting trivia note before I get into the story is that um, I think we can both agree, Impractical Jokers is wildly successful, right? 
Yeah. yeah that was that, that was their last pitch. Really? Oh yeah, they came in with something like three to five other concepts that they pitched, and when all of those failed, they then pitched impractical jokers, and that's the one that got bit. <laughs> Here's the one that we just do every day anyway, you know, whatever, take it or leave it. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, anyways, um, one year I'm attending this um, real screen event and there's people dressed up as pirates and aliens and people with phony tinfoil cameras and all, all the wacky crap you can think people do to stand out, right? And um, so I attended all the breakouts and then as is the thing that you do, what do you do at night when you go to conventions? Go to the bar. Go to the bar. Right. That's yeah. exactly right. Maybe you get your workout in if you're like you and me. Um, yeah. Last conference. Yep. Yep. That's where all the networking happens. So me and my staff member um, went down to the bar and he just, you know, started butterflying all around the place. And so I'm standing there by myself and I looked around. I saw a guy sitting at the very last bar stool with an open spot and he's all by himself and he's, you know, kind of withdrawn and reading his phone or whatever. Um, and I decided to plop down by him and, you know, we, we had a really good, really meaningful conversation for maybe an hour and a half. And I just enjoyed connecting with another person. And after about an hour and a half, I said, by the way, we never talked about what do you do? What brought you here? What work are you? And he goes, oh, I'm a documentarian. Um, oh, really? Tell me about the projects you've done. And this is the backstory to... Um, yeah. So tell me about some of the work you've done. He goes, well, the most recent project I'm most proud of is I filmed the largest team of persons with disabilities to ever reach Mount Everest base camp. Oh, yeah. Oh, no yeah. way. Yeah, 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 exactly. Where yeah. Going. yeah. So I'm like, oh, that is incredible, dude. So we spent the next hour with him just telling me what it was like to be in, in pursuit of Mount Everest and did you see any Yetis, you know, and did you meet Sherpa and did you eat the doll bot stew that Sherpa's eaten? All that cool stuff, right? We talked about all of that as well as the mechanics it took to take this team across this incredible journey. And at the end of it, I'm like, listen, I want to interview you for my blog. Would you be interested? And he goes, sure, sure. Why not? Um, his name is Andy. And by the way, Andy has, uh, Sherpa Stew is his most recent documentary that he just released. So anybody who hasn't seen Team Everest, you should watch Team Everest and then get Sherpa Stew by my yeah. friend Andy Cockrum. Um, wow. So I email Andy a week later and I'm like, hey, you know, can we get on the calendar for, for this blog interview? And he goes, yeah. And by the way, I talked to the expedition's leader and he'd like to talk to you as well. So I'm like, oh, that would be really cool. It's like a follow-up blog, right? So yeah. Um, so I reached out to the gentleman and you know, he said, yeah, absolutely. I'll do the interview with you. We scheduled the date. And then on the date of the interview, I called him and got his voicemail. And, <laughs> oh, no. Oh, yeah. I got his voicemail. Um, three days later, maybe it was four days later, he calls me back and he says, uh, I, I'm really sorry I missed our appointment. I'd like to reschedule. He said, I had the opportunity to go out and swim with dolphins in Hawaii and I decided to go. Now, okay, I can understand that. Where that becomes interesting is that of course who we're talking about here is my friend Gary Guller and yep, Gary the is one and only. Yeah, Gary is missing his left arm. 
and here's a guy missing his left arm out in the ocean swimming with dolphins. And I'm like, dude, of course I forgive you for missing our appointment yeah. to do something like that, right? Um, and it was that initial conversation that led to, to book number two. Um, I published my first book, uh, Think Your Age, Don't Act It. And as Gary and I got to know each other, realized that his um, experience, you know, climbing seven of the top nine mountains in the world, leading this team of unique individuals and helping them accomplish a dream of their own, was a really good business leadership narrative. And this random meeting at a bar is how my second book came to be. That's amazing, dude. I have no idea. This is the first time I'm hearing this story. That is so freaking cool. And, and you met one of the kindest, coolest people in the world, I think. I mean, Gary's like, uh, I mean, he's, he's the most unique guy. I mean, we had him on the show a couple of times and that's yeah. why, you know? Yeah. So I guess, you know, as I was thinking about the networking episode, because, um, you know, like I told you, I, I'm not as inclined as you are to do it, but there's tremendous value in doing it for business purposes but my goodness it can change your life in so many different directions that you'll never know imagine if that night where i want to be a published author and i just decide not to go to the bar that night and even if i go to the bar i decide not to sit down by this random person and strike up a conversation with them imagine had those things not happened we might be talking about uh, one day i hope i can write a book instead of hey i wrote two we might not even be here today. We might not even be here today. Yeah. We'd be doing something completely different. So let me put you on the spot. Have you ever, besides, of course, your wife, have you ever met somebody that changed the course of your life? Hmm. Let me think about that. I guess, um, I mean, somebody that, um, that really helped me get into where I am right now was Susan. Susan, Susan. Scott. Yeah. yeah. Susan Scott. Of course, that was a, a chance encounter. And um, it wasn't quite like meeting somebody at the bar, but it, maybe if the bar was a, a virtual chat room or something like that, you know, I, but I was, when I was actually out looking to become a business owner, when I got out of the military, I was actually looking to start up a chain of anytime fitness gyms in Helena, Montana. Really? I was so close to actually signing on the dotted line to get those started up. And, and my wife, thankfully, said, hey, I'm still active duty and we're going to be moving every three years. Are you going to be okay with traveling across the country to manage these businesses and to be that far away from them? So I had to kind of take a step back. So, you know, you're, <clears throat> you're right. Uh, so, <laughs> I say under my breath, you're right. So let me let me see what else is out there. Let me kind of you know take a step back, you crab. I'm going to take a step back <laughs> and see what else is out there. But those are good crabs, right? You know, we're going, we're talking about like last episode crabs. But, you know this one actually really had true you know intentions. You know didn't uh, didn't um, you know wasn't angry that I was going for those and jealous or anything, but really you know wanted to. You know, make sure that my mental health was good because traveling back and forth to a business, probably not great for your mental health and managing people from 3000 miles away. That would kind of suck mm. um, as your first business. So I started kind of researching franchising a little bit different. And that's when um, I found Susan. I actually pursued her and her knowledge. And wow. she, 
yeah. So uh, she actually, you know, showed me a couple of things, um, you know, just like the kind of the coaching process that we do right now. And I was like, you know, I want to do your job. I like what you're doing. <laughs> so tell me a little bit more about this whole thing. And that's, that's what changed my life completely. I never thought I would ever be considered a coach outside of anything that was fitness or sports related. And like, this is weird. I, I, I definitely have some imposter syndrome going in on this thing, but I'm going to make it work. You know, and you have my friend very successfully you have. And you know, I, I guess it leads us to this, right? And if we could close the episode on one note, I would say it's being open to the conversation and the possibility, whatever it may be, because you never know when that knock on the door of your kidney donor in the future might be coming to visit you. And if you never entertain that conversation, all those wonderful blessings that came back to Gil's life, getting his health back, getting his farm back would have never happened. Had those two guys not gotten to be friends, right? This multi-billion dollar company that employs over a hundred thousand people wouldn't be in existence today. And damn it, we wouldn't be able to eat Pringles. And that would be a damn shame. That would be, <laughs> that would be tragic. Um, yeah, it's, that would be no, tragic. amazing. It's amazing when you kind of peel back the layers on some of that kind of stuff and you know, what, what would have happened without that? And, you know, and I never really thought, think about it that way because, you know, when you pass somebody on the street, especially now it can be really hard uh, to strike up a conversation because of COVID and because you have to wear a mask and, you know, you just don't see anybody's facial expression. You see their eyes, you can kind of tell, you know, if someone's smiling by their eyes a little bit, but for the most part, most people aren't smiling a lot these days, mm. right? So try to, try to, you know, exercise a little bit of that friendliness, keep your six feet, whatever, but you know, it, you don't have to be a jerk to everybody. You don't have to act like you're scared or anything, be a human being, you know, and, and you never know how, what those types of connections will do for you, especially during times like this, people, people are starting businesses, people are starting new creative things and they're innovating and, you know, hard times create interesting tough people that's really yes, they cool. do yeah yes, they do so here is the challenge that i have for uh everyone that tuned in and by the way if you tuned in share this with your friends make sure and post a like um get the word out there because i think it's an important message and the message is this go out and meet somebody new this week purpose yourself to do it at least once because you just never know where your next book or your kidney <laughs> or your multi-billion dollar company may come from. Mission accepted, man. I like it. <laughs> right on, buddy. All right, brother. Catch you next week. Yep, sounds good.